Before we jump into this episode, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we share this conversation. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sam Then. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we're joined by psychologists Punka Govindaraja and Dr. Mayuri Jayaprakash, two members of non-for-profit organisation Tadam. We chat about the mission of Tadam in raising awareness to and normalising stigmatised values around mental health before debunking some of the misconceptions and misunderstandings held by our community when it comes to this important topic. If you are in need of any help, please remember that you are not alone. Help is always here. Reach out to friends, family or support groups like Lifeline on 131114 if you're in Australia. More details in our episode notes. Thanks so much for joining us today, Punka and Mayuri. When we first started our podcast, mental health was a topic that straight out of the gates we knew we wanted to cover, just knowing that it was such a stigmatized topic within our community. So our fourth podcast episode was actually on mental health. And it was a two-part episode where in the first half, we interviewed someone who had bipolar disorder, someone from the South Asian community about their experience. And the second half, we talked to a South Asian psychiatrist who's obviously doing work in this space. But because it's a never-ending conversation, right, and it needs to keep going. So it was incredible to see the work that you guys at Thudham are doing and the impact that it's been having, along with so many other South Asians who have been having the conversation on mental health a little bit more. Like I've personally noticed it in my circles that more recently people are talking about it a lot more. But obviously, there's still a long way to go to normalize it a bit. So we thought it's super important to bring this topic up again and talk to you guys about some of the misunderstandings prevalent in South Asian communities when it comes to mental health. But before we go there and get into that, we do want you guys to share a little bit more about that. And can you tell us the story behind it? Before we start, thank you guys so much. I think Teams was very excited when you guys reached out. It's obviously the incredible job that you guys are doing. And also for that demographics that obviously you guys are also catering for. And so the opportunity to present Thadam in this platform. Right. So Thadam and Thadam means journey. Mm -hmm. And that was really important that we had that because we all have our own individual journeys and our Mm -hmm. own mental health journeys. So the story behind Thadam was more from a place of my own frustrations as a therapist, working with children and young people where find that they are going through some mental health issue or challenge and they feel like they can't for whatever reason, talk to their parents about it because they feel like their parents are not going to understand, they're going to minimise or perhaps even compare to what they've gone through, either through the war, as we've all gone through forced migration. So I guess being stuck again back to those two cultures that you guys tend to outline a lot, which is yay, um, again, going through that in terms of, okay, they go to school, they get access to mental health, they talk to their peers, they talk to their friends, they can obviously get on the internet, But then when they come home, they feel like they can't talk about it. Mm. And what was happening was sitting in this silence exacerbated those issues, which then either turned into behavioural issues or more into hurting themselves. So just noticing that and talking to parents and what they found was 
I guess, a pleasant surprise, I would say, that when they did start talking to their parents through therapy, the parents were a lot more open and they mm. were able to have those conversations. So I guess rather than doing it on an individual basis, back to your question, so the premise was, hey, how about we do this more in a massive scale? And that's, I guess, where Thadam came in. So if we were to do it more like a health promotion kind of space and start really putting it out there in terms of what is mental health, because there is stigma and shame around that, and also using Tamil, because there's definitely resources out there in English, but not necessarily in Tamil, and especially highlighting it to the older generation, and more so in different ways in which content can be put out, as you guys would have probably seen. Right, that's mm. a long-winded explanation about Tadam. Okay. <laughs> that's fantastic. Love that. Personally, I started my mental health journey when I was five. And I think I was very lucky in that my parents recognized that there was something up. They didn't have the vocabulary that they have now to put labels on things. But I think I was very fortunate in that they knew something was wrong and they needed to try to find a solution. Mm. Whereas many other parents would have suppressed that and that manifests in a bunch of different ways. So we really love what you're doing to destigmatize these things and help people understand that things like this are normal and that there is a way of taking steps to move forward with it. Yeah. I'm curious, what are your roles individually in Thadam and how did you get involved personally? So, yes, I'm a GP and I, I work in Western Sydney and I've known Punga for quite a long time now. So Punga actually reached out to me to be involved and I'm so grateful that she did because it's been such a wonderful experience being able to talk about mental health openly all the time and have this group of really like-minded people around us in our team who are all passionate towards, you know, working towards the same goal of promoting talking about mental health. In terms of my professional life, I would say almost every second or third consultation I see at work has something to do with mental health, whether it's directly mm. talking about it or it's something that's sort of tacked on at the end after talking about the other physical health. Oh, by the way, you know, I feel like I've been having, you know, a bit of trouble, whether it's at home or with my mood or whatnot. It's even in the wider community, not just in the Tamil and South Asian community, it still can be sometimes uncomfortable to talk about. So I think we're in such a privileged position to be able to be on both sides, also the Eastern and the Western side. And have a little bit more of an understanding about just how delicate those conversations can be, especially amongst the Tamil community. Because as younger people, I mean, I myself, I grew up here, but obviously a lot of my cultural experience was from a Tamil lens. And so mm. knowing the things that I know, how I was brought up and then seeing what's happening in the community with, you know, older family members or even people just a generation or two above me, it was really eye-opening. And I think there's just a real need for conversations like this to happen. And that's really what our mission is with Tadam is, I think Punga mentioned at the very beginning, we want at least one person in every single household to be equipped with the terminology or at least mm. the knowledge of where to seek help. You know, it, it helps everyone in the community, not just that individual. It's got a flow on effect. Yeah. And when you can have someone in a household that can at least identify what maybe someone else is going through or at least has the language and to Sam's point, the vocabulary to at least help that other person unpack it. It's so important. It's so interesting what you were saying before as well, Punka, like my partner's a mental health clinician and he works for New South Wales Health and without breaking confidentiality, he's told me about how he's seen a lot of Tamil families and Sri Lankan families who come in and because in his role, they don't come in until the worst case scenario, right? Because they have to get referred to come to a community health center. And a lot of the time it's 
parents in denial for a long time, but then when they do realize the seriousness of it, they tend to come around very quickly because there's obviously the underlying care for your child and it's really once the understanding comes in of, okay, like this is actually very serious and very real that they start to take action. So I think, again, you guys are planting the seeds early on, which is so important. In saying that, what kind of programs and initiatives do you guys run? I'll jump in. So we do the content that Mm -hmm. we produce on a weekly basis and that content is based on lived experiences or a mental health professional coming in and they're all evidence-based information that we are providing. On top of that, we've also got wheels just more for the younger generation as I've been told that that's the thing now. (laughs) So I'm learning a lot in this process, in this journey. Um, And then we've got longer clips for the older generation because I'm pretty mm. sure if I put a 30-second clip to up, I'd be like, what am I supposed to get out of that information? Catering <laughs> <laughs> so, to both generations has also been, I guess, one of the challenges that Talon's embracing. Mm. And we've also, we do face-to-face workshops. So we've done things around Murahan Temple. We've done with other organisations, mm. mainstream as well as within community groups as well. And that's really important collaborations and partnerships. And what I guess we're doing here today with you guys, which is really exciting, is that with connecting to one another we're basically going towards that vision which is awesome so it's not about you or I it's about the vision here yeah Yeah. and the only thing I'm going to add just for for everyone to know that Talam is not a counseling service because that's one of the things that gets asked Mm -hmm. often we're not a counseling service we're more around health promotion to break down stigma change access mental health and yeah yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. another thing that Romy and I loved is that it's one thing to have that conversation and spread the word and raise awareness but it's another thing to be ingrained in the community and have those sessions and conversations in person in settings and scenarios where we all operate and we're comfortable mm. so I think that aspect of what you guys are doing I find is so powerful not just letting it be we're putting content out but we're actually going to prompt action from it as well mm. And I also love what you guys do in terms of catering to a larger group, like you were saying, because I think with a topic that is so stigmatized and still something that people are trying to get their head around, I don't know how comfortable people are yet to do like very one-on-one personalized sessions. I'm sure some people are, but others might not be. So kind of addressing it as a collective thing might then speak to someone who is going through it, if that makes sense, but it's not so targeted and directed, which I think is a really great way to get that message across. And then, you know, when an individual resonates, then they can obviously seek further help with it. How was the reception from the wider community when you first started to do this and started to collaborate with, you know, places like Morgan Temple, for example? It was very interesting. It was a bit of a mixed bag, I guess, in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, being obviously still a very taboo topic. I guess there was a small portion of people who were a little bit skeptical, you know, what's this about? Like, what do you mean talking about mental health out in the open? You must be joking. But, right. you know, thankfully, there was a lot of people that uh, really got on board. And it was really, it was so awesome, actually, to see people were literally sliding into our DMs and like, oh, my gosh, mental health. This is so interesting. How can I get involved? And that's actually how we got quite a few of our volunteers who are volunteering with us now to actually mm. jump on board, because I guess they resonated with some of the content that we were putting out. And I think it's really important being able to give some level of representation to seeing a brown face talk about mental health, just like what you guys are doing with the podcast, you know, 
it's such a unique space to be in to be able to have these conversations and it's all well and good to see you know there's a lot of mainstream organizations like lifeline beyond blue that mm. obviously have a lot of really really excellent information available but having that cultural lens and having a, a cultural background understanding is yeah. really the angle that we're coming from and so thankfully after seeing the kind of content we've been putting out i think we've been able to build a pretty decent following which is really lovely because it means that hopefully our message is actually getting out there to the people who really would benefit from it Hmm. And I think what stood out for me was how the community embraced Fathom. And I think that helped a lot to, I guess, keep us going as well. Hmm. And it was pretty much an indication for us that this is needed and there is a gap. And even though as a community or even South Asian community as a whole, we don't necessarily talk about it. But the fact that when this came out and the level of engagement we got, I mean, that was very exciting. And it still is. We're still blown away by the feedback we get or if anything makes us, I guess, work and think about different ways of delivering content because I guess they keep us accountable because we've got people obviously wanting this to work. And if we can help at least one person, that's awesome. Yeah, mm. for sure. And Mary, going back to your point about the mixed bag response that you got, there were some people who were skeptical, mm. you know, we're not going to change the narrative overnight, right? So I think mm. even if we do get some of that backlash, it takes someone like what you guys are doing with Dadam to start that conversation and get the ball rolling. And over time, it'll get better and better. Mm. Something that I've noticed with a lot of the people around me at my age is that when we talk about mental health and someone brings up the fact that they are speaking to a therapist, I feel like now people embrace that more than previously Mm, as a hey this is something that you should be really proud that you're doing because it's something that's so good for your health and well-being Mm. versus how I'm sure 28 year olds 10 years ago would have been looking at this right I'm not saying that we're perfect when it comes to conversations around mental health but I think we have come a fair way one area where I think we do still struggle is having those conversations around mental health with older people from our community and one initiative that we love that you guys are doing is the sari psychologist series on your instagram Mm. page uh, debunking some of the misconceptions and assumptions that south asian communities hold when it comes to mental health and therapy i think even the idea of having the sari psychologist in a sari is a super Mm. simple touch that has a powerful impact right because people see someone who looks like them wearing clothes like them having a conversation about mental health compared to someone they won't resonate with in the same ways. What Romy and I were hoping to do is to throw some of the misconceptions and assumptions that we hear personally around mental health. We're hoping that you can help debunk or get your perspectives on some of those. If you guys are down to do that. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. The first one, I'm going to start with a super generic one here, but the assumption that, you know, therapy and mental health issues are only for people who are, you know, mentally challenged or have something wrong with them. How would you address that assumption? So in our community, as we know, mental health is often misunderstood and words like, I guess, mentally challenged and having something wrong in the brain, Mm. those kind of things get thrown around a lot. And they're generally associated with shame, fear, judgment, and it makes therapy seem like such a drastic step and it's not meant for an inverted normal people. But in our community, there's a huge pressure to always appear strong to handle all your problems. Mm. We've seen our parents, our grandparents deal with hardships, obviously, with the civil war, the settlement issues that go with it. So thought of opening up with a stranger about your feelings can be rather daunting or even uncomfortable. But I guess what people 
need to kind of hear is therapy refers to a range of techniques for treating mental health mm. and emotional difficulties, right? And it's more about helping people understand themselves better, improve their relationships and live healthier lives. So I guess we generally go into the space of what we see in movies or mm. generally what's portrayed of, you know, you're lying down in a couch in a therapy room and you're pouring your heart out and then, mm. you know, comes Freud of some sort. <laughs> In so I guess those things are not helpful. And also in Tamil movies, it's generally very much a very negative connotation of yeah. Yeah. somehow in some kind of psychiatric institute. Yeah. yeah, so I guess these are the things that perhaps hasn't necessarily helped building a positive connotation. Yeah, we've spoken about this from different angles about how the Eastern collective mindset versus the Western individual mindset manifests in different ways. Mm. And to an extent, guys, it actually has worked for us. And again, and I, and I know keep, I keep on going back to the Civil War, but Civil War of 26 years where our parents have gone through, even with the older generation, depending on obviously when they came in, they had to cope that way in order to build a life for us. Mm. Yeah. It makes sense when you look at it from their perspective, but for the next generations, I guess, we're in that privileged positions of we don't necessarily have to cope like that anymore. And that's a privilege that mm. our parents have given us. Mm. So I guess it's about us trying to figure that balance. Also, just to that point about the misconception of mental health presentations or mental health concerns being a weakness, I think you really addressed that actually in an awesome way, Sand, and in one of your really early on podcasts where you interviewed your friend with bipolar, you talked about how actually being able to go through life whilst also managing a mental illness or getting help from mental illness actually shows just how strong people can really be. Sure. Mm. It's such a level of resilience, which is something that can be taught and you can learn through therapy as well in some cases to be able to function in society whilst also having these hidden things that nobody else can see. So, you know, almost everyone out there has at some point in their life's face some kind of battle. And it's not always obvious, not like having a broken arm, but you can clearly see a cast on yeah. all of these right. sort of just behind the surface. And being able to have open conversations like this with each other and giving people the safe space to open up, whether it's with a family member or a friend or whoever it is in your life, it really helps reduce that stigma and make it okay to seek help. And then we can actually see the collective strength of everyone when we work together to help those people who, who need to seek assistance when they're required. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's the education behind it as well, right? Like, from the older idea of someone with a mental health illness is someone who's in a psychiatric ward, like what you see in the older Tamil movies. Like that is not the reality for many people who actually have a mental illness, yeah. right? Like people are just going about their daily lives, but are also suffering behind the surface of it all, like you said, Mayuri. So yeah, I think that education piece is so important. You guys kind of alluded to this next stigma that we wanted you guys to debunk. But one of the things we want to chat about and we hear a lot is the fact that we feel like other people are going through things that are much worse or our parents have gone through things that are way worse than we have. So I should be able to handle my problems without the help of a therapist. Like this in the grand scheme of things is not that big of a deal what I'm going through, but everything's relative, right? I just hear that a lot though. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's honestly such a common question. And I've seen that I've literally witnessed that conversation happen in front of me as I'm speaking mm. to people at work. And it's interesting, because that's clearly, you know, the mentality that's been handed down generation to generation, you know, we have it worse off, what do you have to complain about? Mm. We've given you 
everything. We've given you an education, food on the table, all of these things, meeting your basic needs. What more could you want? I guess it's, it's something that I've heard been thrown around a lot. But I guess, as you said, Romy, everything is relative. There's always going to be someone who's worse off than you. There's always going to be someone who's quote unquote better off than you. Yet mm. we don't know what that person's personal context is. Maybe, you know, you mm. could be a millionaire living in a mansion and you could have nobody to talk to and no supports and be suffering through grief. And nobody would necessarily know because especially things like social media give us this false yeah. sense of everyone's doing better than me. Like perfection. And yeah, exactly. Uh, you're looking at it through tinted lenses, I suppose. If you think about like a little person, like a lot of people that Punga would see, I'm sure, if a child, for example, is experiencing bullying at school, somebody older might say, oh, you know, it's just school, just get over it, you know, you'll grow up and then it won't be a problem anymore. But for that little person, that is their entire life experience up to that point. That might have been the most intense thing they've ever experienced in their life. Yeah. And yeah. so how can you tell someone, mm. how can you, you know, be concerned about this? Because I've had it so much worse because for that person, they don't have any other barometer to compare it to. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good example. And you don't know like the lasting impact that that incident yeah. will have on that person, right? Absolutely. Whether it's a child or even an adult that goes through something like 10 years later, yes. they could react to something in a way and not realize that it was that incident that actually made them think that way as well. And I the danger of that belief is also it can lead to emotional suppression and a reluctance to seek help when it's needed. So it becomes then a barrier. Mm. How do you address the attitude of I'm not going to seek out the help that I need because I'm worried about what other people will think? The classic brown line for pretty much everything, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess a large part of that is, I guess for me, it'll be more from a place of, what is that saying about yourself? If you're kind of stuck in that space, is that reflecting your own fears of judgment? So what is it you're fearing? And I guess at the end of the day, again, as Mayuri pointed out, with any kind of physical health issues, you, you will go to a GP and you would address it. So how is it any different to mental health, right? And the only way we normalise that is to see that as part of health. And rather that our community or just the South Asian community focusing on that word mental, perhaps mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. just health, physical health, mm -hmm. mental health. And coming from a culture that's very rich in other therapeutic interventions as well, there's a lot of, you know, in yoga and things, there's yeah. a lot of understanding around um, the bridge between the mental and the physical. So coming from a culture that's rich in that, I guess the emphasis here is health. That's it. Yeah. And I think that reframes everything in such a different light. Like, I yeah. love that you said that because it just takes away. I feel like that word mental is the dark word here that no one wants to actually talk about or mention or be associated with. But I mean, you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you're looking after your physical health by going for walks and stuff, then you should also be seeking the rest like of your you, body and making sure it's all up to scratch. If you replace mental health with mindfulness, then mm. people mm. in our communities connect with mindfulness because they're connected to spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, just a curveball, guys, just for the sake of this conversation, is I guess I also wonder how long would it take for us as a community to go, it's just mental health. Yeah. Like for it to just become, it's just mental health. You know, mm, people would yeah. talk about, yeah, I go to the physio. Yes, I went to the GP, but no yeah. one they've gone to the psychologist, you know, as yeah. openly. I know a lot of people who do. But again, it's that not necessarily that they're not ready to. They probably are. It's more around whether the community is ready to receive it. 
Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Another one is the fact that people feel like they have too many responsibilities, they need to be strong for others, and therefore they can't show weakness themselves. How would you respond to that side of it? Because I think that's also a really common one, especially for maybe older generations and maybe mothers who feel like they have too much on their plate and don't have time to actually go see a therapist and so on. Look, it's a very valid question and concern, honestly, and it's not something that can easily be dispelled just by saying it's okay, you should prioritize yourself. I mean, you can say that a hundred times to somebody, but realistically, it might not be practical for them. Maybe there are other priorities that they need to schedule in. But at the end of the day, like you just said, Romy, you can't fill from an empty cup, right? If you don't have that level of emotional reserve where you can give yourself and be a place for others to come to you and give care to other people, it starts with having your own mental health be intact, ideally. And so it doesn't mean that you need to necessarily take an hour out of your day every week and go and speak to a therapist and sit down and divulge your entire life history necessarily. I mean, for some people, that might be very necessary. But even just making small changes here and there or trying to at least start the conversation and maybe go and have a chat to your GP or maybe have a chat to a trusted friend or family member that you can actually relate to. Someone you know actually has your best interest at heart. Even just starting off small like that is the first step to trying to prioritize yourself. So sometimes people might think, oh, you know, I'm past the stage where I can go to therapy. I should have done it 20 years ago. But realistically, there is never an expiry Mm. date and seek help for your mental health. So from a little person to somebody who's in their 80s or 90s, it's never too late to begin. And obviously for people from older generations, it might seem very, very daunting because the whole concept of speaking about this is often quite foreign. And especially, you know, in Sri Lanka, for example, it's now, thankfully, there's starting to be a lot more conversations. You know, there's psychologists and mental health professionals there that, especially since the war, have been doing a really amazing job there. But again, that's probably they more see it from a crisis point of view, like, okay, if I had gone through something very intense, maybe I would seek help. But Mm. they don't necessarily understand that it's actually okay to go and speak to them about other things that might not seem as intense. Because first of all, mental health is a spectrum. There's no, there's nothing too big or too small for you to be mm. able to be helpful because some people might also think oh this is too much if I open it it's like opening a can of worms I'm never going to be able to get it under control and then mm. other people will think oh this is so insignificant is it even really worth it going to speak to someone like there's such a wide spectrum and honestly everyone is welcome everyone can join the party it's available to everyone and that's really the point we're trying to get across as well is that nothing is off limits and If you do end up going to seek therapy, it's a judgment-free zone. And those people who are providing mental health care are trained both ethically and legally to keep things confidential. So there's so many things that getting the word out about this kind of experience and the fact that help is available is hopefully going to help encourage people to actually come and share their experiences if they feel they need to. Would you say there are resources that someone could start off with if they are just starting their journey and maybe they are feeling like they don't have enough time, for example, like we talked about, or, you know, they don't prioritize self-care so much, but just little things that someone can do day to day? I think we'll just now do a direction to the Tatum website. (laughs) This might be a plug stage. (laughs) 
Uh, we are definitely uploading resources up there. So we have got things around anxiety and depression and ADHD and things like that. And mm. as Sam then pointed out earlier on was, you know, putting words to this, especially in Tamil words. Mm. And, and that's really important as well in making that connection, especially with the older generation. So there's definitely resources that are bilingual. People can definitely start with that, but also content around just even reels. And with Tharam, it's not just focusing on what is a mental health issue. We also talk about risk factors. We also talk about what are the issues that could lead to certain mental health or a young person or a little person or an older person. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So we did an episode a little while ago in collaboration with an event called Behind Closed Doors. And mm. what they were looking at is to start conversations and destigmatize the narratives around domestic violence within South Asian communities. And the organization that they were supporting is called ICSA, which are working with South Asian, mostly women, but also men who are affected by domestic violence to give them whatever resources they need to navigate everything. And one point that the founders of that organization brought up when we were speaking to them is that some of the values that are held by Western cultures and Western therapists, when you're navigating all of that, are very different to how someone who grew up in the East would think. So some of the advice that they're given isn't practical to them because they're so used to operating in a different way and their values are so different as well. So I think that's another layer why it is so important, like you said, to have things in language to break down those barriers and help people understand it from their unique experience, not by a general population blanket statement of uh, how you should be addressing things. Um, one thing Rami knows about me is maybe to a fault, I will ask people around me that I'm close to, I'll check in on them regularly about their mental health. So much so that my flatmates were actually roasting me the other night because apparently my drunk type is to be like, so how's your mental health? <laughs> um, I tried to do that with older people in my families and networks as well, but it's obviously a lot harder to have that conversation with older people Whenever I try to bring up, hey, I know you're struggling. Have you thought about talking to someone about it? The general response seems to be, you know, no Australian mental health practitioner will ever understand what I've been through as a migrant. And what I would challenge with that is that I agree that no one will understand it the same ways that you've lived it. But their job isn't to understand that. Their job is to help you navigate the emotions that have manifested as a result of everything that you've been through. How... Do you think I should approach those conversations when there is a little bit of pushback about seeking out help when from a person who loves and cares for them genuinely feels like that would be something that's beneficial to them? I guess it's also around, especially with the older generation, acknowledging and validating their experiences. And in the community, we often juggle complex cultural values. And these values are, you know, respect for elders, duty to family, community obligations. And they can be at odds with some therapeutic suggestions that I myself have seen in sessions, such as, you know, individual autonomy, self-care, personal boundaries. And you're a brown person, so you make it oh, sounding really great, guys. But how do I actually practically put boundaries? <laughs> what are boundaries? <laughs> There's a comedian, I forget her name, but there's a reel going around, which we'll post on Instagram and I'll send it to you guys as well, yeah. about how, you know, Sri Lankans, we have boundaries, but the boundary is the whole of the island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And everyone within that island is part of your boundary. I've seen yep. that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, guys. So I guess these are some of the stuff that I guess we 
are juggling. And I guess as a clinician and a brown clinician kind of understanding that therapy is not necessarily about changing this, it's about understanding the person, their values, their struggles, the culture. And good therapy is not about turning everyone into a Western or Eastern individual. It's just taking their unique situation, understanding it, and working with it to find ways to improve their mental well-being, which aligns with their values. So I guess for older generation to perhaps, you know, for us to find that middle ground, I guess that would perhaps resonate. Yeah. Another one that we do hear, and I've heard this personally a lot with friends around me, but there have been some unfortunate scenarios where they've felt a little bit diminished by their family or even a GP that they've first gone to talk to about how they're feeling and how they're going, or they go see a therapist and it doesn't quite click or it doesn't quite work out for them. Obviously, you know, it's not a one shot, you'll find the perfect therapist for yourself, right? It's a bit like dating where you do have to kind of see who suits you and not to give up straight away. Like many people that I know, you know, it's like three or four goes, for example, before they find the right person. How would you go about advising someone who is feeling a little bit disheartened because they haven't felt that validation that you were talking about, whether it be from a GP or whether it be from the first few therapists they try? Mm. I've actually come across that a number of times. It's really unfortunate that people yeah. don't always have a pleasant experience. And, you know, it's a fact. Unfortunately, you're not always going to find the right fit for you the first time. And it can take a few goes. And I guess from my point of view, whenever I am recommending or referring someone to a psychologist, I actually tell them that upfront, even before they even go for the first time. I'm like, the first session is probably going to be a bit of a, a get to know you kind of thing. You might not even delve into a deep dive of therapy and all of the whatever it is that you've experienced through your life. And it's going to take a few sessions, even with that one person before you figure out whether it's the right fit for you. So first of all, just trying not to put too much pressure on the initial consultation, I think is really important. But unfortunately, if people do have a negative experience, it can be very discouraging. And it takes a lot to actually even just come back and inform somebody, whether it's your GP or someone else that actually, it, I tried this and it didn't work out for me. That takes a lot of strength in itself, admitting that to yourself and to somebody else. So if you're able to get past that initial step, there is so many clinicians available now, thankfully, in a country like Australia, where we do have access to a lot of variety of people, even if it's a GP, like even from a physical health point of view, you might see somebody about a physical health condition and not necessarily be satisfied or convinced with that advice. And people yeah. get another doctor or get a second opinion. Yeah. Like, as we were talking, you know, under the whole umbrella of health, it's very normal to sometimes yeah. get additional advice from a different person who might be able to understand you in a different way that the initial person couldn't. So that's what I would advise to people, just like with getting a second opinion on how to manage your dislocated shoulder, perhaps you need a second opinion on how to manage something to do with your mental health as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah, for sure. I guess the other layer to that is with our culture, and when I say culture, I just don't mean South Asian culture. I mean our society as a whole. We are so used to comparing ourselves. Mm. And I think sometimes there's an assumption that we compare ourselves to other people who've been on that journey and look at their experience and assume that that's what it's going to be like for us. So sometimes when you see someone who started counselling but they're still struggling, mm. making that assumption of they've gone through this journey and they're still struggling. So why should I start? How's it going to help me? 
I guess, as again, South Asian cultures, we are into outcomes and success, <laughs> and we value that. We need but, results. Yes, we need results. <laughs> God bless that magic wand of mine. Okay, so I guess partly is also how we've been conditioned, and we're very much into that kind of reaching outcomes. And if not, what is wrong with me as a therapist? You know, why haven't I got this person from A to B fairly quickly? Or in terms of how perhaps that individual is feeling in the session. But this can also lead to a lot of scepticism about the effectiveness as well. But I guess what I say to clients is if that does come up would be, you know, therapy, I don't have a magic wand, guys, work with me here. And also kind of looking at it as therapy is like the gym for your mind and not at all downplaying because people come in, as Mayuri pointed out, for various reasons. It doesn't have to be the pointy end stuff. It could be, you know, stress. It could be relationship issues. It could be I'm now transitioning into a new job. I have just moved into a new state. It could be so many different things. So it's more about looking at why you're there for and what's your purpose and it is, like I said, if, if you're going to the gym, I'm not expected to get a six pack, not that I'm wanting that, guys, <laughs> in five days. Um, so it's more about, I guess, kind of keeping it to more the present and what the reality is. Yeah. And I guess it's like, it's twofold, right? Firstly, it's an ongoing journey. Mm. It's not like you go to 10 sessions and you're magically cured in air quotes of whatever it is you came in for similar to how your physical health again just to go back to that comparison it's not like you can go to the gym for every day for a month and then be like okay I'm healthy for the rest of my life now like it doesn't work that way and that's the same for your mental health and then the second part of it is that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution either like for different people different Therapists will work, different types of therapy will work, different resources will resonate with different people. And that's where comparing yourself to others can also be a bit detrimental because you expect one thing, but that may not be what fits for you as an individual. Or even someone else's therapist who they love may not be the right person for you as a therapist as well. Speaking of boundaries that we were talking about before and the lack thereof, (laughs) um, living at home, there isn't a lot of space sometimes for people, especially for young people who do still live at home with their parents to seek help without disclosing it to family. Maybe they're not quite ready to talk about it yet with them or they'll feel discouraged by their family if they do tell them. So like maybe telehealth won't be an option or if they get questioned as to, you know, where they're going for a particular appointment, for example. What can someone do in that type of scenario? I think that came up a lot during like COVID, but even outside of that. It's a difficult one. It's not easy to access when you're being watched like a hawk in certain households. I guess other options that possibly could be more subtle, not that, you know, we're trying to encourage sneaking around or anything, but for example, if people attend university, often there's a a university counsellor on site. And so that could just be part of going to uni, not necessarily having to disclose that to somebody else, seeking out a school counsellor, perhaps even. There's obviously some lines and regulations around that when it comes to child safety and child protection, where there is obviously Mm. the concept of mandatory reporting when there is a child who is clearly at major risk if something is disclosed. But apart from that, I mean, for me personally, I do see quite a few young people who might come in, for example, for some other condition and then on the side want to tack on the end that they want to have a conversation about their mental health. And Mm. I try and be as open as possible 
possible because obviously it would be ideal if everyone is on board. So whoever is accompanying them to the appointment, if they kind of know that it's a conversation that the child wants to have, I always offer the space to have a chat with the child one-on-one and then inform the parent. Yeah, you know, yeah. Whatever I discuss with this young person is going to be confidential unless it breaches a certain line where I need to legally inform you because it's going to be mm-hmm. a safety risk. And honestly, when I have that conversation, most people are generally quite comfortable with it because at the end of the day, I would say most parents and caregivers really want what's best for their child. And even though there's mm-hmm. a lot of apprehension and maybe fear and stigma around conversations about mental health, if they can see that their child or young person is struggling and they know that there is something that can be done about it, it, sparking the conversation might be worthwhile. And if it's difficult for the young person to spark the conversation themselves, even coming in and and speaking to the GP in front of their parents even and just saying, oh, you know, what do you think about, you know, remember how I was struggling with this at school? I was really, I was talking to my friends and I wanted to see whether I could get any help. And then instead of being stuck just one-on-one with their parent, someone like myself could hopefully jump in if they feel comfortable and try and Mm. direct that conversation. But obviously it can be quite delicate and it's not always easy to do that. And not everyone is necessarily going to respond to that either, but there's just some Mm. questions, I guess. Yeah. I'm curious to know, I don't know how much visibility you guys have into, do you know how much in like schools now that mental health has become like a big conversation? Because during school, like even for me and Sen's generation, at least from what I can remember, there wasn't a lot of talk about mental health, Mm -hmm. but do you see a difference now, like in the curriculum and especially because we're talking about children, is there more of an emphasis? There's definitely, I would say, when I went to school, okay, let's not go there, people. <laughs> In terms of definitely more conversations. However, what I notice is the young people, so the teenagers, don't necessarily want to seek or access the school counsellor in terms of being worried, in terms of how it looks like with their peers or students. And again, I'm very much generalising here. So that ends up being where the referral goes out into the community for a psychologist such as myself to see that young person. So there are those kind of barriers that could also come in. I guess what I'm noticing a lot more is because of the internet and the amount of information out there, there tends to be a lot of overthinking perhaps around person having perhaps two or three diagnoses because of so much information out there that they've self Right, okay. Which then, and self-diagnosis. Yes, which then obviously becomes even an added kind of issue. But going back to what Mayuri said, there are definitely different ways of accessing therapy. And now therapists, I mean, always been, but to some extent now there's they're super flexible. You know, you can definitely, you know, have a therapy in your car if you want, if you don't want to sit at home and have, you know, you sit in a park and perhaps have your sessions. Yeah, yeah. So there's so many different ways now. That's a good point. Well, but again, as Mayuri pointed out, especially in our culture where it's very much family centric as well, and where the older generation of parents will do anything for that young person or little person. It's just having that initial conversation, breaking that whatever that fear is and their fear or their concerns are very justified and warranted, but it's more around perhaps if that health professional, whether it be a GP or a psychologist, perhaps being that even a mediator of some sort at the beginning to kind of get the conversation rolling, which then in turn 
would uncover a lot of the other issues that the young person could be going through. Yeah, sitting in the car and doing a session there is something that I did. Not that I couldn't have that conversation with my parents. It just I wasn't in the place to share that with them.、Mm. And then end of last year, I sat them down and told them what journey I had been on and how I felt like it was important for them to think about their journeys as well. The therapist that I was speaking to last year was a. Brown male, roughly my age, and I didn't have as many breakthroughs as I would have hoped in my time speaking to him. And I think reflecting on our time together, I think a part of that could have been a bit of my ego being like, I'm talking to another male, brown guy who's my age.、Mm-hmm. Am I not resonating as much because of you know us not clicking, or how much of that is accountable to me because maybe I'm not sharing as much or being as vulnerable? Because as we know, men in general do struggle to have those sort of conversations with other men more.、Mm. How do you kind of address that sort of attitude of as a male, I can't show emotions because I feel like in South Asian communities that's heightened. Mm. Mm. I guess that largely stems from the traditional gender roles and the societal expectations that men should be stoic and emotionally balanced.、Mm. And even let's go back to movies. And our society is patriarchal, so you know there is the dad that leads the family. So there is a lot of pressure, unfortunately, on males to kind of keep. This narrative going, and if a male cries or shows emotion, then it's perhaps seen as weak, unfortunately. But however, hanging on to that belief can lead to bottled up emotion and increased stress, and even mental health issues down the line. And saying that, I'm pretty sure you'll agree with this, so that it's okay to say so and seek help and put your hand up and pretty much seek the help because that ultimately means that you're human.、Mm. Yeah, for sure. We want to wrap up by talking about. How people listening can get involved with Dadam, but before that, I want to ask each of you: What do you do for your mental health personally? Oh, is this you checking in on us now, sir? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Classic seven. I'll let Mayuri go first. <laughs> yeah.、Um, look, it's still a work in progress. You know, I don't think it's ever like you can attain the perfect mental health, and and then every day from then on, it's all going to be fine. Obviously, we all go through ups and downs in life, but some things that I really try and keep. Pretty regimented in my routine is first of all getting exercise. Something as simple as just going for a half an hour walk every other day, or as much as I can get out when it's not too chilly, is something that's really important to me. Winding down, listening to music, you know, watercolor painting, having hobbies where I can just. Transport myself, especially if it's been a long and stressful day. I personally find that I like to have some quiet time where I can just focus on my hobbies, or whether it's learning a new language. Like I'm learning Korean on on Duolingo at the moment. Like it's just a hobby that it helps get me out of my headspace. So that's how I practice my self care, I guess.、Mm. Love that. How about you, Romy? Meditation has been a big one for me. I really enjoy meditating because it helps me. Zone out a little bit and like unclutter my mind, and also helps me unpack certain things as well. And I think there's been some really great resources that I've also tapped into, like podcasts, even that have really helped me learn more about myself because I take that away and reflect a bit as well as people around me. Exercise, I totally agree. That's a big one. It's so helpful. It works so hand in hand to make sure you get out of the funk. I'm also pretty extroverted, so being around people and being around people I love is like a big one for me because it really does fulfill me in that way. So yeah, those are some of mine. Love that. I think for me, a bit of both of what you, Mayuri said, and Romy alluded to as well. Meditating and doing something creative that takes me out of my headspace and lets me express myself 
in ways that I don't need to with words. Mm. I think for me, a part of my mental health therapy is checking on other people as well. So、mm. for me, those are the buckets.、Mm-hmm. Kunka, you've been listening quietly. <laughs> my turn. I was being a therapist there, listening to everyone. Right? Okay. So my big two is when I go into my home with my family. That's kind of for me. It's my mental boundary of this is my space, and that's something that I know when、mm. I used to work very earlier on in child protection. And I would look forward to going home, and that drive home would be more around me, kind of, I guess, getting a lot of the stuff out in my head. And as soon as I reach home and I enter my home, that's it, I'm done. And that、yeah. my family would be, yeah, my space. Also, what I do, I really like. And the guys in Thurum would know this, and that's kind of why I took the back seat about the self care. <laughs> It would look like I'm running around, like oh, doing a whole bunch of stuff. But to me, that I find it really exciting, doing the stuff that I'm really, really passionate about, and I'm very blessed to be able to do that. That's the stuff that keeps me going. So, in my very nerdy space, this is kind of the space that I love being in. So that to me is also the space that helps me. Yeah, it's so interesting that sometimes what makes one person anxious for you is very therapeutic, right? So there's no、mm. one cookie cutter answer to how we navigate all this because everyone is so unique and different in their own ways. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We're curious to know, and I'm sure people listening would love to know as well. How can someone get involved or support Thadam's work? Yeah, so、uh, we've got a lot of online resources available. First of all, you can head to our website, thadam.com.au. So thadam is spelled T-H-A-D-A-M, and you can also follow us across all of our socials. So our handle on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube as well is at Thadam Official. So you can send us a message through any of those platforms, or even on our website, there's a section if you want to collaborate or volunteer. You can fill out a form online as well. And we try and do some outreach and go to events and promote our message as well. So if you, if you see our little logo, which is two little feet, the feet emoji meaning Tadam,、um, that's how you'll find us everywhere. Tadam is not just about the team and what we're putting out on social media. We really want it to be owned by the community, and we want everyone to feel like Tadam is. You know, our slogan, I guess, is my Tadam, your Tadam, our Tadam, because it's all about creating that community. So, for example, we've got an exciting challenge coming up on our socials, which will be out next month. Called the Creative Media Challenge, where we are going to encourage people to submit something creative and show everyone what mental health means to them from a South Asian perspective. So you can submit、mm. like poetry or art or Bharatanatyam performance, whatever you like. And we're just trying to get people to yeah give us their own perspective because it's not all about diagnosis and terminology. It's also about having these conversations and finding out what mental health means to each one of us as well. For sure.、Mm. And we'll put all the links to、okay. all of that in the episode notes and on our Instagram as well, as well. To some resources for anyone who's listening who feels like they do need to seek help in any way that might be as well.、Uh, Mayura and Puka, we can't thank you enough for joining us today. We are so proud to see what you guys are able to achieve and what you guys have started. And I know that this is just the beginning, and it's so cool to see the impact that you guys are having. I feel like we could have debunked a lot more with you, so we might need to get you guys to come back down the track because, like Rami said at the start. There's never an end to this conversation, right? There's always、mm. more that we could be talking about. So, really appreciate your time tonight, and really appreciate all the work that you guys are doing in this space. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. And like I said at the beginning, we really, really appreciate you guys reaching out. And yeah, we love the conversation. Thank you so much for the opportunity, guys. And thank you. 
Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Check out our show notes for all of Dudham's links to learn more about their incredible work and how to get involved. As we mentioned, if you are in need of any help, once again, please remember that you're not alone. Do reach out to those around you or support groups like Lifeline on 131114 if you're in Australia. More details in our episode notes. We'll see you next time. Bye.